0: Before we get started, I want to send a call out to all you Black, Indigenous, Latinx, Asian, and women of color listeners out there. We're working on a special four-part She Explores podcast miniseries that won't be hosted by me. It'll be hosted by outdoor advocate Gabacha, highlighting girls and women of color in the outdoors, as well as a few organizations that help break down barriers to expand outdoor opportunities. We want to include as many voices as possible from the outdoor community and beyond. Head to our audio submission page to ponder a few questions about your own outdoor experiences and submit a voice memo. You'll find a link in our show notes and via she-explorers.com. Okay, on with the show, but first, the pre-roll ads, which help support the podcast and keep us sharing stories of women and their dynamic and varied relationships with the outdoors. This episode of She Explorers is brought to you by Danner Boots. At Danner, they believe in the quality of their footwear, and Danner's Trail 2650 hikers are made with the company's tried-and-true standard for durability and comfort. Inspired by, and named for, the 2,650-mile Pacific Crest Trail, these versatile hikers are built to keep you moving quickly and confidently through any terrain. Crafted with lightweight materials meant to withstand tough conditions, they provide traction and stability on uneven ground. An ultra-lightweight foam midsole cushions the foot, while the outsole offers confidence-inspiring grip for every step, in any condition. Available with breathable mesh lining or waterproof Gore-Tex, the Trail 2650 is up for a variety of landscapes. Whether hitting the trail or strolling through town, these shoes are ready for the rigors and rewards of your next adventure. You can shop Danner's Trail 2650 hikers online at REI or via Danner.com slash trail2650. That's D-A-N-N-E-R dot com slash trail 2650. Celebrating the belief that there is always another adventure to look forward to, winter 2021 is getting geared up, and so is the Icon Pass community. Now's the time to connect with the crew and start making plans to get the most out of winter 2021. With an Icon Pass, that means more unique ski destinations near you, more days at the mountain, and a season of brand new adventures. With winter just over the horizon, walk in tomorrow's turns today and get ready to explore wide open spaces and carve endless lines through fresh mountain air. Select the Icon Pass to optimize a full season or kickstart your winter adventures with the Icon Pass session for a day. On sale now every 2021 20, Icon Pass comes with adventure assurance, giving you the confidence to ride. Discover what mountains and pass options are accessible to you and plan for a winter of adventure at icompass.com. That's I-K-O-N-P-A-S-S dot com. I'm Gail Straub, and you're listening to She Explores. A friend and I were talking the other day about those landscapes that are fixed just so in our memory, waiting for us to return to in person. And in our memories, they're constant, immovable. For me, I love to wander to the Oregon coast, just north of Pacific City, The trees stretch so tall and lush, and a fog isn't so much an interruption, but an extension of the ocean. For my friend, it's the eastern Sierras, rock and snow, a carpet of delicate alpine flowers in late August. But during this COVID pandemic, we're far away from these special landscapes. Our orbits have shrunk down to the short miles around the place we rest our heads each night. It's tempting to think, at least that trail will be there, waiting for me. And yet, if we love these places, we also need to reconcile with the fact that their existence, as they are, isn't a given, that they're always changing, and that climate change could just make a place you love unrecognizable. On today's episode, I talk with two women who share memorable stories of instances their outdoor adventures were impacted by climate change. And as you listen, I hope you'll think about those instances in your own life, because we all have them. That's the thing about this episode. These two women's stories aren't extraordinary. So as you think about your own instances of experiencing climate change while outside doing what you love, harness them. Talk about them with your friends and keep brainstorming ways to come together to address climate change. First up, Danny Reyes Acosta. Danny is an avid mountain athlete, a splitboarder, rock climber, and trail runner among other activities. Danny also recently joined the Athlete Alliance at Protect Our Winters. She describes her approach to storytelling as being earth-first and inclusivity-informed. When I talked with Danny, she had limited internet connection because a snowstorm had blown in. It felt fitting because I wanted to ask her about her experience with climate change and cold weather. It was a mountain near Mammoth Lakes in California that immediately came to her mind.
1: Near Convict Lake out in California, this is out in the Sierra Nevada, this is where I did some of my cutting of my teeth, as it were, as a in the bigger, the bigger mountains of the of the Sierra. And I had spent, gosh, I've I a lot back there. And even some of my, you know, even going out with friends, going out occasionally on some of the mellower train on my own mission. And some of the things that I noticed weren't, were related to like, like an event that would happen like in that moment, right? Like maybe the snowpack should have been a little bit deeper in a certain zone than it would have been year over year or the year before, vice versa. But one of the things that, how shall I say this? So like, yes, snow melts every year, especially in the spring. Like you really have to be aware of how the sun and the weather impact the safety of snow and whether wet, wet slides will occur or not. But deeper than the snowpack is like how some of these chassis mountains are like held together and, and the, the ice like underneath rocks that makes something more stable, stable, like particularly when you're scrambling around in different lines, like it's easier to scramble from one place to another if all the rocks are adhered together by. Ice. Does that make sense?
0: It does, yeah. Yeah, it's like the foundation is um, dependent on that ice. Danny described the rock as chossy, which is another way of saying loose or unstable. Typically, ice is the glue that holds these mountains together and makes the kind of backcountry adventuring Danny likes to do possible, but that's changing.
1: There Unfortunately is, I mean, we, we literally see like there's Mount Curry up in BC and it's really being affected by um, like these mountains are falling apart. Like There are mountains up, out here in Colorado, some of the glaciated terrain that normally would be bound together by the layer of ice that holds it all. But because of global warming and the water melting, it's not. It's tightly adhered, and so that increases objective hazard and risk. And you know, I unfortunately I lost a friend out in this area in Convict Lake, like past past this drainage, like years um, at the end of this, I guess the next season, because she she'd been ice climbing on some unstable rock, and it's it's really tragic to see that. Um, I think as a woman who finds a fair amount of empowerment and growth and community in the mountains, like I want to be able to go to these spaces and know that not, they're not just safe, like in a moment, right? Or in any one specific season. But if I know that the foundation is shaky underneath me, then that doesn't just give me pause about like the decisions I'm making on a day to day basis, but it also like really Forces me to think about like, well, what else is missing? Because the foundation is what everything else is built upon.
0: Hmm. And it definitely makes it harder to plan, right? It makes it harder to, to choose where you're going to go because you don't, you can't really know what to expect year over year.
1: Oh my gosh, absolutely. I mean, there, so climate change is, is we're now directly linking climate change to rock ball landslides and instability in the the permafrost and the ice that lives underneath the snowpack, right? So or binds to binds together the foundation upon which snowpack lives, right? So I mean this isn't just an issue of like of people that are going into uh increasingly disappearing glaciated terrain. This is also a topic that people going into kind of really any mountain setting should be aware of because you're right. If we can't plan because our foundation is shaky, like that, really calls into question all the other decisions we're making in backcountry, right? Because backcountry skiing and snowboarding or slipboarding, there are so many unknowns, right? There, there's the unknown of of the weather, of our group dynamic, of maybe our energy for the day. You know, if we're going to into a new area, like what we're going to expect, and so the way that we can mitigate. Hazards and mitigate risk is by trying to understand our environment. But if we have these factors that are completely unknown, like how is the permafrost affected, right? Where there'll be a huge landslide, like I'm not talking about an avalanche. I'm talking about the landslide that happens underneath the snow because the permafrost layer has been weakened. And that's not something that you can learn in your Abby One class. Like this isn't like you can't dig a snow pit and say, like, oh, I'm safe because this is far, far deeper than the snow.
0: And so why did you why did you decide to sign on as an athlete with Protect Our Winters?
1: As a woman, and particularly as a woman of color, an opportunity to join the ranks of, you know, living legends that are passionate about standing up and fighting for climate action within the snow sports community, within the climb community. And, you know, for me within communities of color uh, to, to really advocate for healthier communities and sustainable changes is an opportunity I couldn't miss out on. I had to take it. Like it, there was not really a question. <laughs> I mean, to me, Recreation and community health and environmental justice are all intrinsically linked. And so I think as an outdoors community, we're just starting to see the start of conversations about how systemic oppression isn't, doesn't just happen within education systems or social systems or workplace it also happens in the places where we live and it happens in our backyards and i am not afraid to say that and as a person that does recreate in the outdoors but also has family ties to the fields of california's central valley and to the eastern plains of colorado like This opportunity to to show up as my intersectional self is really really special.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's so so important to be expanding that story because it can feel so oversimplified, you know, especially within an organization that is using, you know, outdoor recreation as a way to, to tell that story or as a way to like open the door to a deeper climate story. It's really helpful to have people who are able to, you know, share their own experiences that are a little more dynamic than just, you know, I couldn't make the amount of money as a professional skier that I wanted to because, <laughs> I you know, there wasn't as much snow this year or something like that.
1: <laughs> yes. I mean, sorry, I'm just giggling because it's it's very true. As I would said in in my presentation with Powell last week, uh, which is available online and linked on their um, Instagram page, the like I am I am a product of my environment, right? So that means like as a person that loves hiking and camping and backcountry skiing and rock climbing, all of these things have helped me become who I am today. But I'm also a product of my mother who, of my mother and my father who worked really hard to, to give me this life to be able to make these, these bougie forceful decisions. They didn't have the type, I mean, not, my mother didn't have the type of opportunities that I've had now. You know, the way that my father, I think, uh, grew up in the world he lived in looked a lot different as well. And so, like, if I turn away from those experiences, I'm not only dishonoring my past, I'm I think neglecting a very rich part of my heritage, and and I, th- I don't think that I'm unique with this kind of story. I think all Americans have like the rich heritage of, of who they are and where they came from. You know, some of us are maybe just a little bit closer to it. So yeah, that's. I mean, we're in a really exciting time where I think, as in the United States, we're questioning. You know, what does it mean to be an American? Right? And what does it mean to be an individual or a member of a community? And how do we show up for these spaces?
0: That individual versus collective mindset comes into play when we talk about our economy and public health. And it also matters when we talk about climate change. Earlier this year, we had Leah Thomas, founder of Intersectional Environmentalist, on the show. And we talked about how people of color are disproportionately affected by environmental injustices. Back to Danny.
1: When you think about what kind of world you live in and the kind of world you want to live in, we really need to be thinking about how are we caring for other communities' health? Because those communities, even if we don't know them first, second, third person, they're still communities that can impact all of us. And that is where we all have a little bit of work to do around the school of thought of collective liberation. Because... You know, as our, I think you know, Lila Leatherman, as Lila says, you know, playing the game of the Olympics of oppression, no one wins. But if we all think about how we lift each other up, then we can really address not just climate change, but the fate of our nation. And we need to be thinking from a community minded aspect, from a community minded perspective.
0: Danny emphasized that as outdoor lovers, it's easy to feel entitled to a mountain or entitled to a powder day. You invest money in a sport, you invest time training and traveling to a mountain, but we still have to think about the greater community, the towns that surround the mountains, the economy that keeps it going, the hospitals that help its residents stay healthy. And it doesn't mean that we can't enjoy our time in the mountains, too. Danny is all about that, but we're a product of our actions. After the break, we'll hear from a longtime listener of the podcast about how a carefully planned hike up Mount Whitney, for lack of a better phrase, went up in smoke. All that and more after this. We all know what it's like to be inspired by the landscape around us, and few trails stand out in North America like the Pacific Crest Trail. With 2,650 miles, the Pacific Crest Trail provides a wide variety of terrain over its epic expanse. And when we're in front of ever-changing trails, we need our shoes to be able to step up to the challenge. It's that need for versatility that inspired Danner's new hiking shoe, the Trail 2650. Built to move quickly and confidently through the terrain of your choosing, the Trail 2650 can easily fill the role of a hiker or trainer. For Danner, this meant looking to lightweight materials that could withstand the demands of the trail, like an ultra-lightweight foam midsole, while still keeping comfort and stability in mind, whether you're out for a day hike, going on a backpacking trip, or simply navigating some technical terrain. Whenever the timing's right to hit the trail, you'll want to be ready to say yes to adventure. The Trail 2650 keeps shifting weather conditions in mind, which is why it comes with a lightweight mesh lining or a waterproof, breathable Gore-Tex option. So keep your eyes focused on that next trek ahead of you, knowing that the foundation you need to get out there can be found on your own two feet. The rest is up to you. You can shop Danner's Trail 2650 hikers online at REI or via Danner.com slash trail 2650. That's D-A-N-N-E-R.com slash trail 2650. As much as time in nature is part of our self-care, it's just one way we can take care of our mental health. And if you've been stressed or overwhelmed, therapy might be the right addition to your self-care practice. BetterHelp is a great way to connect from anywhere with a licensed therapist who specializes in depression, LGBT matters, anger, grief, self-esteem, anxiety, and more. If there's something on your mind, BetterHelp will assess your needs, match you with a therapist, and you can start communicating in under 24 hours. And you won't be alone. So many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I myself use BetterHelp for my first therapy experience, and I found it so easy to use. One of the biggest barriers to getting started for me with therapy in the past was being intimidated by the logistical aspects. So getting connected with a counselor within 24 hours, that's a win-win for me. BetterHelp is convenient and more affordable than traditional online counseling. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash explore. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash explore. We're back with Doreen Wong and a story of a big hike, interrupted by climate change. Doreen lives in San Francisco and works in tech. She's passionate about driving change towards a more sustainable global future for all. It was interesting how it all
2: started. My friends and I had done... Half Dome at Yosemite about two years ago, and it was with a great group of friends who we all love the outdoors, and we actually met each other while we were living in Washington, D.C.
0: Doreen's group of 10 friends decided to plan a 2020 hike of Mount Whitney. Of course, they didn't know then what 2020 had in store for us. We
2: were inspired to enter into this lottery, which started in February and train for this not knowing like what to expect we were even expecting about covid and we were just like let's just try this out and like get us all together and so that's what we ended up doing with just in february we applied for this lottery that we saw on recreation.gov and we actually looked up the trail and realized how it's like even more strenuous than half dome and it would be hiking 22.5 miles um, with the six thousand i think six hundred elevation gain so it's like one of the Lower 48 14ers.
0: They entered the lottery in February and ended up getting an overnight permit spot for Labor Day weekend in early September. As uncertainty swirled in March and into the summer due to COVID 19, that felt like the biggest unknown in making this adventure happen.
2: We decided that
0: we would all quarantine and
2: also take COVID tests before deciding to go and start our hike. And we had planned everything out logistically. There were three captains, I would say, and um, my friend and I, she and I were helping with the logistics and we put together this like document of like all the training things that we could do, like what we need to get, get started and like, and like making sure that we're running like, you know, about five miles every other day or something or doing very long bike rides and just making sure that we were getting ready
0: for that altitude change. So when, when you were preparing and you're getting yourself physically ready, did you think a bit about what could go wrong on your hike? Like, what was like a worst case scenario for you?
2: We planned for a couple of things. One, you know, if we can't meet up, not all 10 of us that had decided to sign up for this weren't able to meet up due to COVID. What would that look like? And we just decided that we'll just keep it a smaller group. And actually, a lot of times it's it's easier to work with a smaller group when you're hiking. But the whole preparation part was that we had prepared for like altitude sickness was one. And then also just if like, we weren't able to meet together. And then the other one was just like, if someone gets injured, what would, what would happen? Because a lot of times when you're going back country is that you don't have access to like a network or anything. So you're kind of just like out there. So just trying to figure out like, what would we do? And we got some walkie-talkies for each pair. We paired off. And so we had walkie-talkies so that if something happens, we can use our walkie-talkie to talk to each other. And then um, one of our friends also got like an emergency horn to help um, call for help if, if needed. But those are the things that we prepared for. But we didn't really think about what the extreme impacts would be with dealing with the wildfire, and we know that there have been wildfires in the past, but just nothing to the level that we experienced
0: um, at Mount Whitney. Wildfires. In a year when unprecedented is a word we've heard over and over to describe the impacts of a global pandemic, the same can be said for wildfires in California. The title from an article from the Los Angeles Times says it well, quote, the worst fire season, dot, 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 again, unquote. So far, 4.2 million acres have burned in California, the highest number on record. There are a lot of factors that are contributing to increasingly devastating wildfire seasons, but undeniably, climate change only multiplies the severity. So as we learned from Danny earlier in this episode, climate change makes it difficult to know what to expect when you plan for a trip. Doreen's trip was before San Francisco woke up to an ominous red sky that lasted all day she and her friends could only take their plan day by day. So, coming into this, that's when all the
2: wildfires were ongoing for a while and it actually took about like I say like 6 8 weeks of our time where we could have been training going to like Desolation Wilderness or like Lake Tahoe to be training. All of that our trips were like impacted by this. We had to kind of reconfigure like how we were going to train for Mount Whitney we did keep an eye out. So we did like, you know, stay, see like where the fires are, what were the air quality. And um, at the end of the day, like everything looked fine up to the point when um, we decided to go acclimate in Mammoth first before we went down to Mount Whitney. And that's just kind of how everything got started with, you know, not knowing to prepare for the impact of wildfires. And that was something I really didn't plan
0: carefully for. Doreen and her friends spent two nights camping and acclimatizing at Mammoth. On Saturday,
2: when we were there, we saw that, you know, it started to get a bit hazy. It smelled, it wasn't like a campfire smell. It just smelled kind of like, definitely like a wildfire kind of smoke. But it was very faint that you couldn't really, really smell it. And then our hike for Mount Wendy was supposed to start on Sunday that morning. And we woke up in our, where we were acclimating to like, smoke being filled in our tents and also some ash all over our cars and our tents and that's when we realized that what is going on we don't have any service you know at this campsite and yeah so we, we ended up driving out and as we were getting our making our way uh, around like six in the morning to mount whitney Uh, It's about two hours south. And as we're driving south, we got service and then saw that, you know, there was a fire that had started on the other side of the range from us. And we we kept an eye out. And then we were like, you know, let's just drive down there and check out what the conditions are like at Whitney Portal, which is where um, the trail starts. And we can reevaluate there. So that's what we ended up doing. But that was the first time we got the wildfire uh, signal and realize that maybe we shouldn't be doing Mount
0: Lindney. Hmm. But you're taking it step by step, like one team decision at a time.
2: Yeah. And we, you know, that's all we can do because you never know what nature brings you. And I think a lot of times when we go on these trips, like something could happen, but you have to like start think about like how we're going to approach this. We also have to make sure that our safety is most important and we want to make sure that everyone on our in our group is safe.
0: Their team made incremental decisions based on air quality and their own personal comfort levels. By the time they were high enough to make the decision to summit or not, there was just five of their 10-member team making their way up in N95 masks.
2: We actually had our permit that was up to trail camp, which is about six miles up and about four, a little over 4,000 feet elevation gain. So we originally thought we were going to camp at Lone Pine. and we're like, okay, we're going to eat lunch, we hang out. But then we're like, oh, this... You know, the air quality is improving. Like, let's just keep going. And then we kept coming across people on along the trail that were, like, coming down from their high of being on top of the summit. And we're like, this is the most amazing experience. Like, we really love this experience. And we also came across a ranger. And he said, like, you know, today is actually looking clear up there. But he said, you never know, like, how the winds could blow, like, because of this new fire. Plus, the one that's already existing that was down um, near Sequoia Like we're expecting the winds to blow in some of the smoke, so we kept that in the back of our mind. (laughs) And so we we (laughs) hiked all the way to to Trail Camp, which is about twelve thousand feet. And so once we got there, it was just gorgeous. Like you could see the peaks of Mount Whitney, and you could see everything. And so our plan originally was that we'll go up there, and we do still have this permit. If it is clear, we would like to attempt it. And, but we'll start early in the morning. So, like, we'll wake up at, like, 4 in the morning and then get hiking and then come back down and then regroup with our friends or, that are waiting at the, the bottom of the mountain.
0: They went to bed that night feeling hopeful with dreams of clear skies and what is for many a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. We woke up at 4 in the morning and we
2: looked outside and saw that it was so smoky it felt like a very foggy environment where you can kind of see the headlamps that are going up this, towards the summit, but mm-hmm. you can really barely make it out because it's just so foggy from the smoke. And the other piece was um, that night, actually around like one or two in the morning in our tents, we had felt something was off. Like it got really smoky and we've been wearing these like um, N95 masks and we also brought the covid masks so we were wearing we put our masks on at night just to to sleep because we were worried that you know it might get bad and like you don't want to be breathing in like in a closed environment with the smoke and so we woke up again at four we saw that and we're like okay well we can't really worry about like you know we don't know we feel safe about this so we're going to wait for maybe you know when the day when there's sunlight and so we'll wait for when there's smart light and then kind of reevaluate there so, so we slept in until six in the morning and when we woke up at six we looked outside it was it looked terrible it was like you can you can see the peak still we actually saw a couple of people because you know a lot of them were day hikers so they would do like the you know start their trail around like two or four and then you'll see like a group of people go up and then come down and a lot of people also enjoy like seen the sunrise from the summit like we've heard amazing things about it so like we're like oh yeah like this is the first group and we were kind of lingering around near our, our tent and trying to decide if we should attempt it at all and because of how hazardous I we're pretty sure that air is hazardous we didn't think it was a good idea for us and we actually talked to validate this as we saw some of the day hikers that were coming back down who decided to go up to the summit um, one of the the hikers that we spoke to said, "I, you know, was jogging down. And was like, oh my God, I felt like I was breathing out of a straw, <laughs> and like, and at a high elevation like that, it wasn't, it wasn't worth the risk for us. We decided to turn back and um, start h- making our way down, and then we also wanted to get back at a reasonable time. So, if we decided to start at that point when we were deciding, it was like eight a.m., nine ish." It's getting close to where like, we wouldn't be getting back until very late.
0: Doreen's crew was disappointed, but they knew that they made the right decision for themselves. And there was still one more surprise to be had on the trail. Interesting enough,
2: as we were making our way down, it was a surprising moment. Our friend proposed to our other friend <laughs> at this beautiful waterfall part that we, we saw that um, we call it the Marmot Paradise because there's a lot of like, it's just out of blue, it's like a bunch of rocks and like, and then all of a sudden there's like a waterfall and then there's like little green grass, just like a little random like corner uh, where we saw this on our hike and our friend proposed. So that was a great silver lining was during this experience <laughs> like, that we had to see this happy moment. Yeah. <laughs> like,
0: Some final reflections on outdoor recreation and climate change from both Doreen and Danny after the break. Celebrating the belief that there is always another adventure to look forward to, Winter 2021 is getting geared up, and so is the Icon Pass community. Now's the time to start planning winter adventures with your family and friends. Whether it's days with the crew at your home mountain, or if it's trying out skiing or snowboarding for the first time, An Icon Pass unlocks it all. Across more than 40 unique Icon Pass destinations, there's bound to be at least one accessible mountain for you to explore wide open spaces and carve endless lines through fresh mountain air. Put an Icon Pass in your pocket to unlock it all. You can choose from their full Icon Pass at $1,149, the Icon Base Pass at $849, or kickstart your winter adventures with the Icon Pass Session 4 Day at $499, all through early December 2020. No matter your skill level or how often you ride, seek your turns this winter with an icon pass. Road trip ready for adventures close to home or further down the road, every experience is one for the books. While the mountains connect us all, it's this unique community that helps to hold us together and reminds us to keep safely seeking joy this season. On sale now, every 2021 Icon Pass comes with adventure assurance, including credit towards the 2122 Pass in case of COVID 19 closures, and more time to defer the value of an unused 2021 Icon Pass. No questions asked. Discover Pass options and plan for a winter of adventure at IconPass.com. That's I K O N P A S S.com. We're back with Doreen. You know, it's interesting to hear you say, you know, you said it a couple of times throughout our conversation that you never know what nature brings you, but there is a piece of that where this isn't all totally natural. How does that make you feel? The fact that like, yes, you're kind of at the whims of of weather and nature, but it's also it's worse because of humans. Yeah, it's it's
2: disheartening to see this all happen. I could say like having been born and raised in California, we have all the different climates or like the little different environments, like from the ocean to to the mountains. And I've never seen anything like this before. And working in the field, too, is just that it's it's like an invisible thing. You don't know until you're you're around it. And it's if everything was normal, it wasn't because of climate change things would, the trends wouldn't show that it would just be like oh like every summer it would be like this every you know winter every now and then you might have the what but we've been getting more and more extreme events and occurrences that have been happening that are really pointing to the fact that it's climate change and it's caused by humans i think that that is also an inspirational point for us to to think about how we as humans can take action and it's better to take action now than, than wait for a while. And I can recall like several years ago, it was just like, oh, like everything's okay. But until something really bad happens, I've never been in a wildfire situation where you're or in fire season situation where you're like have six or eight straight weeks of an orange sun or like no sun or just like their quality is so bad that you can't even leave your house because of what's been happening outside yeah it just really shows like how important for us to take action and I think as humans like we're all part of the ecosystem it's not just the outdoor environment it's like we are part of the ecosystem and we have an impact on those around us and so we also need to be accountable for like what we're doing
0: Doreen drove back to San Francisco to that red sky an eerie city that never really woke up but it was a sight on the way home that really got to her. That was the other
2: piece that really kind of broke my heart. It was just seeing how the way Yosemite looked very eerie. Just like the smoke was filled across the northern part of Yosemite and you couldn't see half dome. You couldn't see all the, you can kind of make out some of the, the trees, but it just, it was just not how you see Yosemite in all of our like films and like photos and stuff like you me this beautiful place and like it was just covered in smoke and that day when we drove back to san francisco we've already been seeing like news updates and people asking if we were okay because they're like oh it's like the apocalypse in san francisco with the orange sun and um when we got back it just felt like we were on a whole nother planet like are we actually back we we thought when we were by the coastline you know a lot of times the winds would blow and like clear up the air quality especially around the coast but it was definitely not the case when we came back.
0: Mm, wow. Oh, my gosh. That visual of Yosemite is, is because I feel like we have such idealized visions of, like, what we think nature should look like and, like, what these special places should look like, and we don't necessarily accommodate in our brains for what could happen to those special places.
2: hmm And that's that was the thing. It was just, like, we see how beautiful it is, but then you don't realize, like, this could keep happening for and this will actually keep happening over the next years if we don't do something about it and um, if we want to keep these places beautiful and like I think it's a lot of during this whole pandemic too is that something that you can only do outside is go outside and to have that taken away from you that that's just like another part of our ability to enjoy the outdoors and our ability to like find ourselves and, like, really embrace it. And I think that's something that we often take for granted is, like, this is all what we love and, like, this is where we live. And if we want to be able to enjoy these things, that we need to take care of our Earth.
0: Reflecting on her trip, Doreen looks back on the bright spots, on what she and her friends learned about listening to their limits and not necessarily sticking to the plan. Doreen's also hopeful that raising awareness will have a cumulative impact. I think something I've been seeing lately is
2: just like how resilient our young and passionate, very passionate, mission oriented our younger generation, our next generations are, and just seeing how they have this energy. And so I hope like that our older generation will realize like what we are doing now and like, oh, everything seems fine. It's like, think about our our children, our grandchildren think about the future for those who will be left with this earth. <laughs> and so like, I think that's something I have hope for is just like knowing how passionate and mission oriented this next generation is. Like I, I'm i hoping for a lot of change and I think there's be a lot of inspiration there is just making sure that we are communicating and bringing awareness in our local communities and like making sure we can talk and Relate to like everyone of all generations.
0: Before we wrap up, I wanted to share some final words from Danny, who we heard from in the first half of the episode, to underline the importance of sharing our climate stories and folding in our communities in the process.
1: As a Swift border, I want I want to have a safe and solid snow path. I want to have a community of People that I can ski and skateboard with that are positive and supportive. I want to be able to have good food on my table. And all of these things are linked. They're all linked to the fa- whether it's environmental justice and, and like the farm workers that have been picking our food during a pandemic and wildfires, we still have food on our plates. I have the privilege to be able to go and do these really cool things in the mountains, but only because of other people that are also doing their work. So it's it's my work, part of my work, to, I think, advocate for for doing what's right. And, you know, if we go back to the idea of, of collective liberation, like really just thinking about how can we show up for all communities? Because unless we're thinking about everyone then we're really just thinking about ourselves and that's the kind of mindset that doesn't serve anyone
0: you know as the editor of this show i'm always looking for a tidy ending Words of inspiration, a call to action, something to leave you listeners with that is miraculously both an opening and a resolution. And I can't help but be a little at a loss here. Wildfires will continue to rage, permafrost will continue to melt. But talking to Danny and Doreen, I'm reminded that we don't stand alone in the face of this that collective action through voting, organizing, and supporting grassroots organizations really does make a difference. It's important to continue speaking up, to continue telling our stories and listening to the stories of others. So as the sun shines here in my home state of New Hampshire, I can dream of my favorite landscapes and leave room in my mind for their adaptation, just as we all will continue to grow and fight and change. Big thank you to Danny Riz Acosta, and Doreen Wong for taking the time to talk. Find out more about them both linked in our show notes. Thank you to IconPass, Danner, and BetterHelp for supporting this episode. And remember, if you'd like to contribute to our upcoming mini-series hosted by Gabacha, head to the link in our show notes. You can find She Explorers on social media, our website, and wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find me on Instagram at Gail Straub. If you enjoy listening, there are different ways to support us. You can subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend. And if you'd like to connect, join us in the She Explores podcast Facebook group. Music in this episode is licensed through Musicbed. She Explores is a production of Ravel Media, released on Wednesdays. Until next week.